And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome in to the Crawford Talks. Remember us, Mike Meltzer and Jay Kaplan. The Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Jake, I think it's been about a month. How the hell are you? I'm doing okay. Um, how are you? I am doing, I think, fairly well. A lot has gone on since the last time that we recorded an episode just after the uh, the season. And normally this time of year with the baseball offseason, this would be... Would this be, Jake, the week of the winter meetings or the week before the winter meetings? The week before. So the winter meetings was scheduled to start Monday, December 6th in Arlington, Texas. Um, and it is, depending on who you talk to, it's either canceled or it's virtual. Um, I, I tend yeah. to think of it more as canceled because it doesn't, I don't know. I just, it's not like they these teams can't talk other weeks that aren't the winter meetings. Um, so I don't think it's going to feel very much different next week than it does this week for the casual fans or even for reporters. So um, I think everyone's hoping it sparks some more movement because it's been a glacial free agent market in the first month. But uh, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, glacial is a good way to put it. I mean, the, the biggest signing that we've seen so far is what Charlie Morton to the Braves for one year, 15 yeah, million. I think so. I think. That is probably the biggest. Um, the pitching's moved a little bit. The position player has not moved at all um, outside of, like, Michael A. Taylor signing for, like, a, a million or something with the Royals. <laughs> um, and I think, I, th- yeah. I think you know, part of it is the fact that NL teams don't know if they're going to have a DH or not, which is pretty ridiculous for that is uh, ridiculous. December 3rd to not know. And... Um, so I think that's part of it, and I think also there was a big part that uh, teams just waiting for the non-tender deadline uh, on December 2nd to pass so they got a full picture of who's available and who's not. It is kind of crazy about the the DH in the National League because I saw uh, people commenting about Kyle Schwarber, who was non-tendered by the Cubs, and I saw some commentary about, well, you know, he'd be a better fit for an American League team, and I was like... Wait a second. Am I unaware of the baseball rules? Like, what's the DH situation going to be? Like, is he better off in the American League? I have no idea. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty stupid. Like, we should know by now. Um, and yes. like, they should move up the non-tender deadline if it's going to hold up for agency. Um, put it in mid-November. Like, I don't. I don't know why. Why MLB does yeah. things the way they do. Uh, this is kind of a, a side note, but if, if I was the union, I would somehow figure out a way to study the NFL or uh, the NBA and figure, and maybe this is impossible just due to the economics of baseball, 
but find some way to change the timetable to where there was more of a, a scarcity element, a bidding war for your players, because I get this sense, Jake, that having the players be free agents the moment the World Series ends, for some reason just makes it so that the offseason just kind of drags on at a very slow pace. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they can do to fix it, but they need to fix it because it's it's not good for the sport. You know, you look at how the NBA just like gets its offseason done in three days and it generates so yep. much interest, whereas baseball... Like you said, Charlie Morton's been the biggest deal, and we're a month in already, and that's only a one-year deal. It's not exactly um, going to shift the balance of the game for years to come. So um, it's just uh, – it's baseball offseason just become this long slog, and I think we were kind of waiting for a move to do our next episode, but um, yep, you know, we, we, we have stuff that we can – speculate about and you know there are some 40-man roster moves the Astros have made we can we can catch up on but um, it would be nice if some of these big names and and some of these teams some of these teams would start signing some of these big names that would be nice I mean from an Astros standpoint I I feel like people are just kind of waiting on what is ultimately going to happen with George Springer and when I reflect Jake upon the past month or so the only thing that's really happened with Springer is the Blue Jays have been mentioned as sort of a viable candidate to sign him, which which kind of caught me uh, a little off guard. I know Toronto is, you know, reasonably close to Connecticut, but I've lived in Connecticut. Like going to Toronto is it it's it's a ways. <laughs> it's not that close. Um, but th- that's that's really the one that people are are waiting on to see exactly what's going to happen. I saw in your mailbag people were asking you questions along the lines of, well, are the Astros even attempting to sign Springer? Which to me is sort of a flawed premise in that I'm sure they have had discussions over the last couple of years. I'm sure they have some idea of what the price tag is. And I think based on price tag plus location, it's just highly unlikely that he is back playing center field for the Astros. Yeah, it's all relative, right? Like, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, because, like, first of all, I don't – I'm not in the room. I don't know what the exact offers uh, being sent back and forth are, if any, or what they – like you said, what they have been in, in the past. Um, and also, like – you know, like what is a what is an, uh, an actual attempt? What what qualifies? Like, um, you know, is it a decent offer? Is it the best offer? Is it like you could define this in so many different ways? Um, you know, at the end of the day, all that matters is whether they sign him or not, and I don't think they will. But um, you know, until he signs, I just don't think there's going to be that much clarity on on uh you know like what he's thinking wh- where he's leaning like i that's not really how this works yeah like we just we don't hear that much um from the player or the player's camp until until they really sign and um the truth is like we don't really know exactly what the astros best offer has been or will be um but based on you know the economics and everything we know about how they operate and you know, where he is in his career, it just, it's always seemed unlikely that once he hit free agency, that they would be the highest bidder or at least the, the close, close enough to that where they, where he would come back. Are you hearing anything or is the industry sense right now that for Springer, it's likely going to be the Mets 
or the Red Sox or maybe the Blue Jays, one of these teams in the Northeast? I don't know. I, I really don't. I don't think there's any – I don't think anyone knows. I think it's, I, it's almost like the offseason hasn't really started yet in terms of like – well, that yeah, that's that that's the weird thing to me, and that goes back to the scarcity thing. I'm like, hey, I understand Springer is a little older than you'd ideally want a, a free agent at the age of 31, but like I look at some of these teams, especially the Mets, who need. Well, you'd probably disagree with this, but maybe one could argue that they need a splash, especially with this new owner. People would be excited, and yet it's like, yep, George Springer is available, and there, there it feels like there's no um, like there's no there's bidding no urgency, war. or maybe there is. Yeah, there's, yeah that, that's what I'm looking for. Yes, there's no there's no urgency right now. There is a lack of urgency at this moment. Yeah, I, I think the Mets make a lot of sense. And I think, you know, they're definitely like a huge um, factor in all these big free agent names this offseason just because they have the new owner. And it seems like he wants to make a splash. But uh, whether that's Springer or Bauer or Real Muto, I don't know. Um, and it's like I said, like it. There's some teams that are uh, louder than others in this stuff. And like you, you mentioned the Blue Jays, but there could be another Blue Jays team that's just being quiet about their interests, right? Like they're not leaking it to the press that they're yep. interested. Like they're just doing it behind closed doors. Um, I've like, we don't, we don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of other suitors that aren't being talked about um, as much as those three that you mentioned. Um yeah, it's like I said, it's it, there's I don't, I don't think there's going to be that much until he's close to signing or signed about like who was the front runner, who who got him, who was next up, that kind of thing. Let me throw out an idea here between George Springer, Jackie Bradley Jr. and Michael Brantley. Uh, I would actually bet the Astros sign one of these guys now. Maybe it's a little bit skewed because what I'm really saying is I think that Jackie Bradley Jr. makes a lot of sense, and I think there's a decent chance they sign him. But because there's a need for at least two outfielders, that is a bet that I would personally make. What are your odds? What, what's the uh, what's the money line here? Uh, th- that's a that's a good question. I'm not a I'm not like a gambling aficionado, but I feel like if I feel like if I this is one of those bets that would be I don't know. Let me think about this. It's like plus five hundred or um that that's way too high. Is that way too high? That feels way too high. But like I, I want to be minus I feel like that's the kind of bet. I don't know. I think you got it backwards. So you think you think that they'd be favored? Would they be favored to yeah, sign? Yeah, you're right. One no, you're right. It's plus. Um. I think it's I think it's plus. I'm just not sure exactly. Someone on Twitter once we post this is going to be in our mentions, being like, "It's this amount," and you guys are nuts for not recognizing it initially. But I always say this when I'm doing live audio, I cannot think in mathematical terms. Like that part of my brain completely shuts that off. That part of my brain doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> if I'm Michael Fair. Brantley, I am not signing until I know that if there's a DH in the NL because that would pre- create so many Excellent more job, potential jobs and drive up your market. So, like, if I'm him or Nelson Cruz or some of these others that are, like, likely to spend at least some time at DH in the next season, uh, I have no reason to sign until that's determined. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a really intriguing option for the Astros, but he's also a really intriguing option yes. for many other teams because he's a elite defensive center fielder. He had a better offensive season last year, although 60-game season caveat applies. Um, so I would bet against it 
because of the odds, the math, just like that they'll sign one of those two, but like they also might sign one of those two. Like I, I don't think they'll sign both, but like they very well might sign one of them. Agreed. Um, you know, it's it's the center field market is kind of Springer, Bradley, and then a huge drop off. Um, so that's that's an issue for the Astros. Um, you know, I don't. I think there's. I think there's a greater than non-zero chance that they. So they focus on the corners and and give Miles Straw a shot, which I think would be a massive mm. risk. But like that, that's the way the market. I mean, don't is. you don't you? I mean, don't you think uh, from a scarcity standpoint that you it's easier to have Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field and Kyle Tucker in one of the corner outfield spots, and then figure out a way between all the free agents that are out there and maybe all the trade possibilities that are floating out there to figure out one corner outfield spot as opposed to... I mean, I'm just looking at Jackie Bradley Jr.'s career stats, and he had the one big offensive season this year, but he also had one back in 2016. Like, Miles Straw, to me, is nearly a complete zero at the plate. No offense to him. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a guy who's elite defensively, and considering the Astros lineup, I don't need to put a lot of... I don't need to put a lot of stress, if you will, on him being a critical part of the of the lineup. Uh, it's going to be more on the other guys, which I think would help someone like Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, he wouldn't have he he would he could kind of be like the Astros Kevin Kiermaier, right? Bat in the bottom third. Um, yes, good announcement. Some some surprise homers here and there, um, some surprise doubles. But like, yeah, you're you're getting him for your def- his defense, and I think they should prioritize defense at that position because. Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about the defense at the rest of their outfield positions. Tucker's, I think, average, maybe. Uh, he's probably yeah. best suited in left, and he might have to play some right. Um, you know, if Alvarez can play any left, he's bad out there. Diaz is is more of an infielder. By the way, I don't mean to stop you. What I did not dream this because I just Googled this. So this is not something I was like thinking uh, in some sleep-induced state. Kyle Tucker was a Gold Glove finalist this he was. year, right? He was. The hell was that? What was that all about? That I I was watching all the games. I mean, I think he was fine defensively, but yeah, I think it's a product of the weird system they use this year. Um, and I actually got a question about this in the mailbag too. Um, a fan was basically insisting that. It was a conspiracy against Carlos Correa that he didn't win, um, and, and it's not the case. I mean, because usually Rawlings determines the gold glove by it's like 75% manager and coach vote and 25% Sabre uh, defensive index. And because yep. these managers and coaches only saw a third of the teams, they, they scrapped that part of it and just did 100% metrics this year. And defensive metrics... Our flaw, our flaw. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So you're te- so this so these Gold Glove awards this year were not voted on by Correct. anybody. They they were determined wow. by a sixty game sample of defensive metrics, which is why Correa, Correa finished second to to JP Crawford and Kyle Tucker was in the top three for left fielders, even though he played like a fair amount of right field too. And I don't know. It's it's kind of stupid, but like I don't know what the alternative should have been. You're right. Like these these managers only saw a third of the league. Um, yeah. Well, why, why don't they have the media vote on this? Um, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, or are you someone who is uh, philosophically opposed to that sort I of am, thing? Personally, but I you know I don't 
begrudge anyone who votes for the awards. I just I, maybe that maybe that would be Makes too sense. too hard to organize. I don't know. I don't know why that. I mean, yeah. our media members like how many of them are paying close attention to the defense, right? Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's always it's always. First of all, I feel like a fraud for not fully realizing that it was exclusively defensive metrics. So yeah, poor you job are by me. It's okay. Uh, I. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, so bad job by me, number one. Two, I actually was going to buy into the conspiracy theory about Correa not winning the gold glove, but now I can't buy into that conspiracy theory because uh, I look at the evidence and there's no evidence for the conspiracy theory. So, yeah, I mean, would Correa have won if it was normally normal vote? Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, J.P. Crawford's really, really good defensively, too. He's good. I, yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm not like watching uh, Seattle on a week in, week out basis. We saw him a bunch of times, but not obviously not yeah. every day. Um, but, you know, if Correa stays healthy, he can have a chance to win it next year. Um, Lindor being unseated, I think, opens the door for just to be kind of an open playing field there next year. But um, we've already yes. spent more on gold gloves than we need to. But yes, Kyle Tucker was a finalist. Uh, I don't I don't think that means he's above average defensively. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I agree. So it sounds like we are on the same page, Jake, that it is easier to fill the corner outfield spot than to fill center Yeah, field. there's a ton of corner outfielders available, especially after the non-tender deadline where you added uh, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, um, David Dahl ha- can play all three, um, Kyle Schwarber. David Dahl is interesting. David Dahl is interesting. I, I think everyone was shocked that the Rockies um, – I'm not sure what the Rockies are doing, but that the Rockies non-tendered him. Uh, he's He wasn't going to make that much money in arbitration, and he was going to be their starting center fielder last year before injuries uh, derailed his yeah. year. He was an all-star in 2019. Like, he, he is interesting. Um, you know, I think he'll probably do pretty well for himself. He's 26, so uh, it's probably good for him, honestly. What a what a weird dynamic. I'm just thinking like yeah, uh, that you're uh, an all-star 25 and then you have injuries and then you get non-tendered but at least you hit yeah, the like, open market. What a like, what a weird scenario. Yeah, like, former first round pick like he's he's really intriguing. I think Duval's intriguing. Uh power bat, you know, from the right side, always plays well at Minute Maid. You know, those type of bats seem to to pair well with Minute Maid Park. Um, yep. Eddie Rosario, I'm a little less interested in him personally. Like, I think he's good, but he's not, he's, he's kind of one dimensional. Like he's, he's a good left-handed power bat, but he's not a good defender. He's not a great base runner. Like there's a lot of holes there that made it, you know, there's a reason he was not tendered. 
Um, you know, I, I think uh, Hunter Renfro wasn't technically a non-tender. He was outrighted last week, but you know, I think I. Is he Astros any good? fans saw what he was like in the playoffs, uh, at least defensively, <laughs> yeah. um, on that Kyle Tucker ball. But uh, I think he's more of a platoon option. Like, there's a lot of corner way corner options that they could kind of uh, mix and match. But you're right, center field. It's kind of Springer, Bradley, and and or bust. Jake, do you think the Astros have any preference when it comes to who they might add in the outfield, which side of the plate he's hitting on, given the current composition of the lineup? No, not really, because they're not, you know, they so they lost Springer, they lost Brantley. That's a one right-handed bat, one left-handed bat. You know, Tucker and Alvarez provide enough balance, probably, um, yeah. as the two lefties. Maybe... Maybe you'd favor a lefty like Bradley, but I don't think it really matters. Um, you know, especially if you have Tucker and Alvarez in the top six, like that, that balances the part of the lineup that really matters. So to put a bow on this part of the conversation, um, I think that I, I think that they will sign Jackie Bradley Jr. That, that's that's my feeling just based on consuming what you've written, the fits, uh, the age, what his market is going to be. Um, I, either way, they're going to need to sign at least one outfielder to fill a spot for 2021. Maybe they can fill the other one internally or via trade, but I, I do think they'll be signing somebody that they place in the outfielders as a starter as an everyday outfielder yeah if they don't sign Springer or Bradley it's real it gets even more interesting because then you're looking at the legit possibility that um you know that they might give Miles Straw a chance to play every day or close to it which like I mentioned earlier I think would be a pretty big risk but at the same time if you beefed up the other corner you know your lineup's pretty deep and Yes. Like how much offense do you need from the center fielder at that point? So uh, it's an interesting dynamic at play. And, and I think the Bradley, whether he signs with the Astros or someone else, that will be kind of a turning point in the offseason one way or the other. All right, let's transition to the 40-man roster. J- uh, Jake is obviously our 40-man roster expert. So let's go through the last time we saw the Astros was the 4-2 loss. Uh, against, uh, obviously, the Rays in Game 7 of the American League Championship Series. So we're talking a month and change ago. The 40-man is at 38. What has happened to the 40-man roster since the ALCS, Jake? So they had so many guys that they had to add this year unexpectedly because of injuries and the expanded rosters that they kind of ended up with a pretty big roster crunch to begin the offseason. Um, so you saw a lot of early non-tenders, I would call them, you know, like these guys won't be counted in the non-tender count from last night from, from Wednesday because they were happened a month ago, but they are essentially non-tenders and that's Roberto Osuna, Dustin Garneau, Chris Davinsky. Um, you know, they, they had to cut, uh, a few other spots to clear for, reinstatements from the 60-day injured list and the restricted list. So they had they got rid of Chase DeYoung, Brandon Bailey. Um, they put on waivers Jack Mayfield and Rahelia Armenteros, and both were claimed. So between those guys, Sy Snead went to Japan. Um, 
you know, the free agents we've talked about, like they, they had, like they, they've lost, they're down like 13, I think it is players <laughs> who were on the, the roster last year. And, um, they added prospects to protect from the rule five draft. So they really, they still have a crunch to come if they add more than two players, um, which I expect they will. And so it's kind of an ongoing thing for them with, with the roster being tight. I will note that you were an early adopter and correct on the idea that they were going to not bring back Roberto Osuna, which I was a little bit more skeptical about. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm not even convinced if he was healthy, he would have come back. Yeah, with that, yeah, I should mention that. Yes, yeah. Even if he was, even if he was healthy, if he had, uh, yes, that that's fair. Uh, but now that I think about, it, especially in the context of our entire conversation here, given the uh, given the whole situation across Major League Baseball, the odds of them bringing him back at an inflated arbitration salary, given his role right now and given his health, it, it probably made no sense. Yeah, I mean, I think for Osuna, the injury sealed his fate, but you know. In a in a climate where Brad Hand is getting cut loose, uh, you know, and he's healthy, you know, I don't think it. I think it would have been iffy for Osuna either way, um, you know. And now that'll leave the Astros, you know, in addition to the outfield relief depth is is a big need for them. I, I'd expect they'll add, you know, one or two relievers, and and there are a ton of relievers out there, good relievers out there. Uh, so I don't think that'll be difficult to do either. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I wanted to ask the question just because Osuna's been a, a, a fairly decent name here for uh, a number of reasons the last couple of years. But when you think about the Brad Hand thing, Archie Bradley being non-tendered, uh, it makes a whole lot of sense why the Astros were not interested in bringing Osuna back at an inflated uh, price. So that that part makes sense. One thing I'm curious about, Jake, is you is, as we talk about this 40-man roster crunch, this team's going to need to make additions here. Um, so how is the, how is the interplay of that going to be uh, between the additions they're going to need to make plus the forty man roster and the guys they need they need to protect here? Yeah, so they just protected Forrest Whitley, Peter Solomon, Tyler Ivy, Gyro Solis, and Freudus Nova, and that that leaves them at thirty eight with two openings. You know, like I said earlier, I think we assume they'll add more than two players. Um, so they will have to make more decisions on who to who to cut as that happens. Um, you know, I think um, CNL Perez is a an obvious trade candidate because he's yep. a, a reliever who doesn't project to make their opening day roster, um, but has some stuff that might entice other teams. Um, I think popular podcast name Humberto Castellanos is probably an, uh, an, <laughs> yeah. out, an outright candidate, you know, makes kind sense. Of, kind of along the same lines of a Brandon Bailey or Carlos Sanabria, although they seem to like Castellanos more than those guys because he's still around and he's young and can pitch multiple innings. Um, you know, I think Taylor Jones, the first baseman, now that they re-sign Gurriel, would be a trade candidate, although I don't know how much value he has. So Yeah, I mean, when you wrote about him, that one surprised me, but then when you explained it, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Between Yuli being back for a year plus Alvarez, they just don't, you know, plus Abraham Toro, they just don't really have 
any room barring injury for Taylor Jones. And when they did have room last year, they didn't seem very interested in trying him. Um, yes. I think he got 22 plate appearances. Uh, so I think that might be telling. Um, but yeah, they could also trade like a Toro if they think that they have, they're getting good value back. But I, I don't know if, I don't think that's likely because you'd be selling low. And um, there's not much else now that Cy Sneed's gone. He would have been an outright candidate too. Um, I, I when I wrote about this recently, I included Austin Pruitt, but I don't think, you know, I think if Austin Pruitt was on the way out, he would have already been gone. So I think he's part of their 2021 plans. So they 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 just you know maybe a trade satisfies the 40 man roster crunch because they trade some 40 man people to get more 40 man people, but. Uh, it's definitely they're definitely going to have some interesting decisions to make, assuming they acquire more than two additions this offseason. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm just looking at this overall situation, and I know you can go back to the trade deadline where not much was done by James Click, but this to me, Jake, is really the first time we're going to be able to find out information about James Click as a general manager and see what he's like. And obviously it goes into the season to figure out what the results actually are. But I don't think we know a ton about Click as a GM at this point. And now is when we start to find out, you know, just what what kind of guy we're working with here. Yeah, that's really the significant the the significance of this offseason for me, um, is is learning what direction they're gonna take. Um you know, like I think there's little doubt that they're going to contend in 2021, but this offseason might tell us what they're looking like in 2022 and 2023 as well. Um, you know, if they sign players to multi-year deals, if they kind of go more of a stopgap route, uh, I think that'll tell us a lot. So you're right. I think this, you know, James Click's deadline, he didn't he didn't make any moves. The really the only move of consequence we've seen in his we're in December, so what is that? Eight months, nine months? Um, yep. Is Brooks Raley, which is a good trade, but you know, it's a reliever at the end of the day. So there hasn't been a lot to draw from. And uh, assuming this offseason actually gets started soon, uh, these next few months will will tell us a lot. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, if I'm James Click, I'm absolutely approaching 2021 thinking that I've got a team that has at least a shot to contend for the World Series. Obviously not as good as 2020 because of the losses of Springer and Brantley, but I've got enough in my core and especially depending on what exactly the playoff format is going to be with the variants, uh, I'm going to approach this team like, hey, this is a legitimate contender for 2021, especially considering, you know, I don't I don't exactly know how good the A's are going to be. I'm sure they're going to be good, but they're going to have some losses as well as a competitor within your division. Yeah, I think the Astros are really helped out as they have been um, in the past by their division, just not that good, right? Like, yes. The A's are have been formidable the last three years, but they, like you alluded to, lost a bunch of free agents. Um, you know, the Angels just hired a new GM. Who knows what he's going to do? The Rangers uh, don't seem to be close to to being a winning team again. Um, the Mariners might be getting closer, but they're still not there. So, like the Astros, yeah. like that, it's kind of a cushion for them, right? For twenty twenty one, at least, is like I still think they probably have the best roster in the division right now um, i agree and they probably have more money to spend than the a's do so um it's but they're still in a way at a crossroads when you look ahead to what's coming next off season with um you know correa being a free agent and Grenke and mccullers uh and obviously verlander who's not going to pitch for them this year anyway yep. um like they this offseason could be a way to get a head start on replenishing um, the roster for the future as well as making it, you know, fortifying it for the, the present. Well, well, let, let me let me pick it up right there because I'm glad you mentioned that because we're going to talk about uh, Sugarland and the and the AAA affiliation in in a couple of minutes. But there was a little chatter, a, li- a little chatter about Carlos Correa from a trade talk standpoint. The Astros apparently checking in on DJ LeMahieu, which I would not do. Not because LeMahieu's not very good. He's excellent, but he's 32, and that terrifies me. Um, he's really th- good. He's really he's, good, yes. He's, like, he's, for, he's, in my opinion, like underrated despite what he's done the last two years. Like, he's Which is really weird to say good. for a Yankee. Yeah. yeah. No, I can see that. I just the, the age scares me because I just, I, I'm a pansy when it comes to like having <laughs> to sign guys who are 32 to like real multi-year significant contracts. I, I get nervous about that. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. According to Ken Rosenthal, there's not um, the Astros. This was last week or two weeks ago before Thanksgiving, I believe. Um, they're not currently engaged in any active conversations on Correa. 
um, according to his latest. Um, but the fact that they checked in on LeMahieu is interesting. Although, again, like checking in, like... <laughs> what does that mean? Like you're probably not doing your job if you're not checking in on, on every good player. Um, yes. But it's an interesting thought exercise. Like they, they only are guaranteed one more year of Correa. Um, you know, there's no guarantee they're going to re-sign him. Um, he's one of their best players, but he's also had a, a, a extensive injury history. Um, you know, he's really the only like feasible trade asset if you want to trade one year of Correa for players with more control. Yep. But trading him, basically, I, I mean, I guess theoretically, it there's a way you could do it where you're not getting worse for 2021, but it would be really difficult to not get worse for 2021 by trading him. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> see it. Um, like, the return would really have to outweigh his potential value in 2021 plus the draft pick compensation in the 70s. Um, for 2022 that you're going to get from him if he walks, which is is a good prospect potentially. Um, and I, I just think that's – I just don't really see it. I don't see it either. I think especially given the kind of role that Correa morphed into this season as, in my humble opinion, sort of more of the leader of the team, especially as we saw in the postseason. It is, it is a fascinating – question what his long-term future is going to be because Correa has a lot of weird things when you look at the resume a lot of maybe weird's a wrong word but a lot of just like different factors weighing in different directions um he was not very good offensively in 2020 now a lot of guys there are a number of star players who were awful in this brief 60 game season Correa was not very good offensively he was great defensively he's he, he has become a better defensive shortstop over the last couple of years. He is, to me, one of the elite defenders at the position. Offensively, in the postseason, he was terrific. Um, his slash line was, what, 362, 455, uh, 766. And I think Correa in the postseason was more of the guy that we expect. His age is a good one for a, for an a pending free agent. He's going to be 27 uh, next September. I feel good about that. But I just keep remembering, Jake, all those shaky updates that A.J. Hinch would give about Correa and his back, you know, especially in, 27, in 2018 and 2019. And I would love to know, and we will never know, but what the Astros' internal medical reports and records are with Correa because... I don't know. I'm guessing at this point, talking in early December 2020, we're talking about somebody who is going to be set to make over $200 million in his next contract. Yeah, he's a really interesting case for all the reasons you mentioned. Um, I mean, for his career, he has a 126 OPS plus. So he's been 26% better than the average. And he's an elite defender. Um, and he's he steps up in the postseason. I don't know... How like you have to factor it in, but like at the end of the day, like um, I, you know, it's hard to evaluate like how to weigh it versus the yeah. regular season because ultimately, like you can't guarantee that he's going to play in the postseason on his next contract. Number one and number two, like it's a small sample relative to the regular season. I think there's a lot of recency bias that goes into his 2020 like he was not good offensively in the regular season and he was amazing in the postseason but we only talk about the postseason and, yep. re and remember the postseason 
So I t- and even the regular season was a small sample. So you kind of have to take the larger view. I think looking at the whole career is probably the best way to do it, which is why I cited that number first. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, you know, like I've said before, whenever someone's a free agent, it's unlikely they're coming, they're re-signing with their previous team. It's just the math. And um, yeah, I don't know. He's he, He's got the injury history. That's going to be a big factor. That that's the scary part to me. Like that that's the really that's the really frightening part about this. It is what the deal is. Like maybe he's fixed the back. I have no idea. But but I, I just keep I, I keep thinking about because I'm guessing from an Astros fans listening right now, most of them want to re-sign Carlos Correa. But I, I always think in sports at the time of a, of a re-signing, people are usually in favor of a re-signing. I think about it, you know, I, I mean, for the Astros, maybe less so, but I think about the, the Texans when they re-signed Arian Foster, people like that, and that turned into a bad contract, and he was a really good player, but, and I understand is not a running back, but I just think that, and this is hard, and this is why these GMs are paid a lot of money in baseball, but you have to take the long view, the cold, calculating view on this kind of stuff, and you can't just like look at Correa's postseason and him yelling at Framber Valdez and then pay him more money just because of the emotion of that. Yeah. He'd be more of a wide receiver, don't you think? Like a, Yeah, I think like so. Like a Travis Fulgham type on the outside. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think that makes sense. Yes, <laughs> Alshon Jeffrey. He's a little shorter than Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think you know, in sports these days, fan you know the front offices are paid to not be sentimental, and the fans are always going to be sentimental and emotional. So yes. you're right. Like, find me a re an example of a, a team re-signing one of their players where the fans are against it. I don't yeah. know if it won't exist. But Eagles re-signed Alshon Jeffrey three years ago. People loved it. It's it's been a catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, a lot of deals. <laughs> a lot of deals are bad, right, for the teams. I mean, um, honestly, like, well, let's let's be fair, Jake. I mean, uh, Altuve a couple of years ago. Now that is a giant question mark moving forward, largely because of this season. And then you factor in, you know, the the playoffs where uh, Altuve was really good at the plate, but then kind of a mess defensively. Does that carry over into next season? Altuve at, at the time of re-signing, like, how can you have a better resume? I mean, he was always healthy. He is a tremendous hitter. And then a couple of years later, am I sold on the Altuve extension? Eh, I'm a little, uh, I'm waffling. A little bit on how that's going to age the next four years. Yeah, I'm sure people were pretty excited about the Justin Verlander extension too. Um, yes, and they got one start out of it because that's you know the risk of signing pitchers. Um, God, that's depressing the way you put it. <laughs> but you're right; <laughs> you are correct. One start. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's yeah. I, I think there's a good case to re-sign Correa, and there's also a case that he's maybe the fourth or fifth best shortstop available next offseason. Um, in terms of long-term bet, you got Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, who's underrated. Yes. Um, Javi Baez and Correa. Like, I think you could ask a bunch of people to rank them, and Lindor would be one for most people, but the other four would be you'd have a million different combinations of, of orders for for people ranking them. Um, you could I, you could argue Correa's three, I, maybe two, maybe five, maybe four. I... I but you could also say the same for the others. So, like, in terms of long-term bet, I mean, I don't know. I think a lot will depend on how he does in 2021, frankly. Yes. Um, but the larger point is, you're right, like, fans are sentimental over these signings, whereas 
the front offices, especially in the age of analytics, you know, they are not. They that, there's a reason the Astros never re-signed their free agents, right? Like they are looking at it as if these players are just any other player from any other team once they hit free agency. It'll be one of the fascinating storylines for the Astros, certainly within the uh, the top three or so over the next calendar year. Jake, let's wrap up by talking about an, another interesting development uh, a couple of weeks ago in the minor leagues for the Astros. The AAA affiliate was Round Rock. Now it's going to switch to uh, Sugarland. This is the kind of thing that fans seem to be uh, all about. So to recap... Uh, this is a very close AAA affiliation. Sugarland's only 23 miles from, from Minute Maid Park. It's obviously right down 59. Um, the Astros are going to own their three highest minor league clubs, AAA Sugarland, AA Corpus Christi, and Class A uh, Advanced Fayetteville. I am no minor league expert. My initial take on this is that it seems to be a good logistical thing for them, although Round Rock's not that far either. Sugarland obviously is is super super close. I know some people are upset about the idea of like the Astros ceding territory to the Rangers in the Round Rock area. I I have zero sense of that dynamic. I'm sure we have listeners obviously out there. Um, to me, if you are a fan of a big market baseball team, they're all big markets, but like outside of the immediate area, then it comes down to like, do I get them on television? Do I have to pay for this, you know, baseball for the MLB.TV? I know they have weird blackout restrictions. And plus, honestly, I don't have a great sense for whether I should care if the Astros have fans around the Austin area or not. Like, I, I just don't, don't have a great feel for that one personally. Yeah, I don't either. And I, I also don't know, like, you know, I know people are excited about this, but like, how many people are actually going to go to these games once minor league baseball is back in full swing? Uh, maybe more than I'm giving credit for. I don't know, but like, I don't know. It's who knows if the minor leagues are even going to play this year either. Like, um, I feel like they have to play. That that's my take. They have to play. I don't know. I mean, let's. I guess we'll, it's probably a better question for February and March than it is for now. Probably. But yeah, I mean, logistically, it makes sense. It's, it's, you know, I guess from a business standpoint, not that like we really care how much money Jim Crane makes, like um, it seems like a smart deal for him. I don't, I mean, we don't know how much he paid for this, but um, owning your affiliates in general seems like the way the game, the way is go game is going. Um, you know, I mean, the, the proximity thing gets a lot of talk, but like how often are they actually having like a last minute call up where they can't get from Round Rock to Houston, right? Like, yeah, it's not that frequent. So like it will be easier and it's less travel for the players going back and forth. But um, yeah, I, I think it's it's fine. I, I don't really have like a huge reaction to it. I think it's it's not surprising that Baseball America has reported reported this uh dating back to October of 2019 that it was in play um and I, th I I was surprised that people were surprised I guess people missed that reporting but um it's kind of uh seemed inevitable for a year or so that this was gonna happen have you been to a Sugarland Skeeters game I have not I have not I've not been to their facility um I guess I will in the future though I I did go to Round Rock a few times, probably like five or six times. Um, been to Corpus, never been to Fayetteville, but um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> from a reporter standpoint, it'll be it'll be nice to just go 
down the road and interview the the prospects who are there. Um, but I've actually, yeah, have I've you not, been? I have not been. My contribution to this conversation is that I is that when the uh, the rugby team in Houston played um, at Sugarland Stadium, uh, I think the first year I went and I had a super good time, but it's a little skewed, Jake, because. My friend, she and her family had uh, season tickets, and they had like the uh, the tickets where you can like go and eat the food in the uh, in like the suite kind of tickets. Mm-hmm. And so I f- I feel like I might have an, like an artificially good view of of going to those games. What kind of food was it? It was actually pretty good. Like it was uh, it was a pretty good spread for a. It was like I don't know if it's Major League Rugby or whatever it is, but I, I was impressed uh, considering the level of rugby or just the level of sport. I was impressed by the food they had. Interesting. Yeah. Well, a lot of drinks, coffee, etc. A lot, all, a lot all, of different things. I'm all for good food. Um, as, yes. As my scale will will tell you in 2020. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I mean it's good for the people who are who have access to the the ballpark, right? Like now they will, you know, they might have more interest in going to see Astros prospects versus independent league players. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely good for them, but no question about it. Ultimately, in terms of like the Astros and like how they run things and the feel of organization, like I really don't think it's going to feel that much different once. Once things are back to normal with minor league baseball, it's just they're going to have fewer affiliates. We don't know who their low A affiliates going to be yet, um, but mm. you know they're not going to have both of Quad Cities and Tri City. That's for sure. So um, it's just it's just a, a, you know they were only in Round Rock for that one season too. So it's not like I mean, yes. at least in this most recent iteration of the partnership. So um, I don't know. I don't really have like coherent thoughts on it. <laughs> It's just like yeah. well, you, you sound coherent. You may not have uh, you may not have big thoughts, but that's that's that that's fine. I, I do think it's it's cool for the people in Sugarland that it's going to be a, a higher level uh, of baseball. I mean, AAA obviously is is a pretty good level of play, and I think it's it's been a this is just living in Houston the last couple of years. Uh, it seems like Sugarland has gotten. Uh, it seems like people have enjoyed the Skeeters in general, and so this only helps from that standpoint. All right, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, our schedule usually in the off season uh, before spring training is about once a month or so, but we have a ton of flexibility. And so, Jake, I think you know if and when big things happen, like let's say George Springer signs somewhere or the Astros make a, a a significant move or a trade or a signing, we will have an episode after that kind of event takes place. Honestly, at this point, even if they sign like some reliever you've never heard of, I'm ready to dissect it. I just need something. I like it. I need something to analyze. It's been uh, it's it's been too too slow. <laughs> it has been too slow. We'll see if it if it picks up after the virtual uh, winter meetings. Thank you guys for uh, listening. So make sure you stay tuned, uh, listening over the course of uh, the off season. Rate and review us if you have not. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks and Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you.